Hey everyone, welcome back to the Essentials Podcast. I'm Maddie Flint, your host. And welcome if you have never been here before. I'm glad that you somehow stumbled across me. On this podcast, you can expect to hear about themes of science, politics, art, history, American culture, and more. This episode, I'm going to cover a few brief topics in science, and those would be plant structure and the human skeletal system. So just to begin, I don't know about everyone else, but I've been so busy in the past two to three weeks. All these different events are just landing on the same days, and college classes are a little over the halfway point, all while I just want to stroll around enjoying fall. Speaking of fall, the leaves have been just incredible this season. I honestly think that fall has been a major defining moment of 2022 itself, because the colors are so vibrant. And this is due to a lot of different biological occurrences, which I'm sure everybody is familiar with to some extent. So before I dive completely into the leaf structure thing, I do have a little quote by F. Scott Fitzgerald, and it reads, life starts over again when it gets crisp in the fall. And that is definitely true, F. Scott Fitzgerald. I love fall, it's my favorite season, and I might be a little bit biased because my birthday's in November, but I really do love the change in seasons. I love every season, but fall, there's really something comforting about it. Because anywhere you can see a mountain range from, you can see like a natural art project. It's just nature running its course, and it's so beautiful to see every day. And also the sun sets earlier, so you get like the peak of golden hour at a different time. And the way that it reflects and like strikes off of all the different colors of the leaves, it really is visually pleasing. And now we're going to talk about the biological and chemical processes that are responsible for the creation of this beautiful free art gallery that we get to go through every day. So, abscission, aka the falling of leaves. So regarding that, we have the plant hormone abscisic acid, and it's abbreviated as ABA. It was first discovered as the agent that causes the abscission or dropping of cotton balls. However, there have been more recent studies that indicate that ABA only plays a minor role in the abscission process because it's, there's a lot of different things that are at play when it comes to the way that a leaf falls off and the way that it changes color and everything. So ABA accumulates as a response to stressful environment conditions such as dehydration, cold temperatures, or shortened day lengths. And that's exactly what we start to get in the fall. Um, ABA also inhibits stem elongation and induces dormancy in lateral buds. So it's getting the tree prepared, or whatever plant it is, but trees are the easiest to demonstrate with. Um, anyway, prepared to survive the winter and to make sure that nothing starts flowering or budding or trying to grow again during this season of dormancy. So now, say that this is our little time frame it's getting colder outside, it's not raining like it was in August, and our days are getting a lot shorter, so plants do not have the amount of sunlight that they have in spring and summer to convert into energy and nutrients that they need because they're autotrophs, so they can make their own food. We can't do that, unfortunately. Actually, no, that would be weird if humans could process their own food from within our bodies. That would be really weird. But back to the next plant hormone. We have ethylene, and that is associated with fruit ripening, flower wilting, and leaf fall. 
So ethylene is unusual because it's a volatile gas. So it has carbon and hydrogen in the form of C2H4. The aging tissues, especially senescing leaves, so dying leaves, and nodes of stems produce ethylene. The best known effect of the hormone, however, is promoting fruit ripening. So in regards to leaf fall and senescing leaves, it's gonna trigger abscission, so flower fading and dropping, and it's gonna promote germination in like sprouting bulbs and potatoes. Ethylene makes a scab around the petitole, which is a part on the branch, wherever the leaf is coming off of, it's almost like the little hinge that's keeping it attached and that scab detaches and so that the leaf has been cut off from all the other things that are flowing up and down the meristems of the tree and it just starts to die and it's at this point it's so fragile that a wind is just gonna make it fall off the branch. When I was younger it was so much fun to run outside while the wind was blowing and try to see how many leaves I could catch out of the sky. At that point in time children did not have smartphones or access to the internet as like toys so I wasn't playing with Instagram or watching videos on a tablet. I was outside playing in the dirt and catching leaves and things during this time of year. So now, we're, so now we kind of have an idea of why and how the leaves are falling off of the trees. Now within the leaf itself, there are essential elements for plant growth. And there are micronutrients and macronutrients within them which we're just gonna keep in mind for a second because I will eventually talk about why that matters. So a healthy growing leaf is going to be green and this is because of chlorophyll. Chlorophyll actually includes two pigments, chlorophyll A and chlorophyll B. The molecules of these compounds are pretty big. So it's carbon 55, hydrogen 72, magnesium, nitrogen 4, and oxygen 5. And that's chlorophyll A, and chlorophyll B is similar to that. It's C55, H70MG, and 4O6, so that's chlorophyll B. And they are attached to the membranes of these disc-like structures inside the cells called chloroplasts. And inside these chloroplasts, photosynthesis occurs, which is the process in where light energy is converted to chemical energy. Chlorophyll is not a very stable compound, like for instance, bright sunlight can cause it to decompose. So to maintain the amount of chlorophyll in their leaves, plants are constantly synthesizing it, but that process requires sunlight and warm temperatures. So during the summer, chlorophyll is continuously broken down and regenerated, but once day length becomes shorter and the temperature begins to drop, the amount of chlorophyll in leaves begins to decline and the other pigments, all these other micro and macronutrients in the leaves of many of these plants are gonna become way more visible. So this is gonna include the carotenoids, which are pigments that absorb the blue-green and the blue light. The light reflected from them thus appears yellow. Like in chlorophylls, carotenoids are also large molecules and they are contained inside the chloroplasts, but because leaves contain way more chlorophyll than carotenoids, the carotenoids have little effect on the color of leaves as long as the chlorophyll is present. So once that green is out of there, we're going to notice rust colors, red, yellow, orangish, brown, all the other colors of these other nutrients that are inside the leaves. And sunlight is required to produce that red pigment. If you've noticed, sometimes trees are more red on the side that it gets more sun, and then underneath or wherever it hasn't gotten a lot of sun, the leaves will still be green. They'll turn brown eventually, but 
they're still more green than the ones in direct sunlight. So in autumn, these pigments in the leaves, they're gonna start degrading, and chlorophyll is gonna be destroyed more rapidly than the carotenoids, so the green is gonna fade first, it leaves behind those colors, and we are left with a display of very bright colors of reds and purples in the autumn landscape. And there's also that yellow that comes out due to the oxidation of tannins in leaves. And then cool, dry weather favors the destruction of chlorophyll, and sunny weather promotes the formation of the pigments that cause the red coloring. So the brightest autumn colors are produced when dry, sunny days are followed by cool nights. So based on the vibrant pigments that we've been able to see all over the capital region, I think we have had those conditions because, wow, what a great year for foliage. So switching gears a little bit, we are in spooky season and I want to talk about the human skeletal system. In my physiology bio class, we've covered a lot of material on the development of plants, animals, and humans. I'm not categorizing humans with animals, but they do. And I have some interesting things to mention about that later. I think they're pretty cool. So for now, the human skeletal system is comprised of 206 bones at adulthood, which does in fact mean that once in our lives we had more at birth. We had somewhere from 270 to 300 bones at birth but those all got fused together as our bones and skeleton continued to develop. So we were living while we were in the womb, just to make that clear if anybody was confused about that. <laughs> um, our bones are made of collagen with a mineral called calcium phosphate. So collagen is 90% of that organic mixture of our bones. So our skeleton is really nothing but a solid organic framework that holds everything else in us up. It is such a masterful creation too, as are all living things. The skeleton is very intricate, having large bones like the femur, and then really, really tiny ones that are found inside our ears called the hammer, anvil, and stirrup. So we all started seeing the commercial Halloween decor, the paper skeletons, the plastic bats, and the bags of overpriced Halloween candy, which is normal candy, just an orange and black themed wrapping, in the stores by probably the end of August. Now we're on the tail end of that because I've seen some Christmas stuff already. As we get closer to Halloween, it's Christmas time. But our human skeletons, which are a very natural thing, are heavily associated with things that are scary and creepy. So now they're a part of Halloween decor. It's just a mineral structure inside us. It can't be that scary, can it? It is more than that because a bare skeleton would be a human without organs, blood arteries, skin, hair, fluids, etc. So the thought of that is uncanny. And maybe it's also kind of uncanny that right now your skeleton is holding your cup of coffee, typing on Snapchat, driving, or raking leaves. Now, us Christians believe that God made humans separate from animals. They were created last in God's art project. So the Bible reads, the man called Adam was created when God formed a man of the dust on the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and a man became a living soul. And that's from Genesis 2-7. Therefore, Adam was created from the soil, which is actually reflected in his name. While the word Adam means man, the root of the name in Hebrew means earth. Now, while many say the Bible is completely wrong and impossible, like some kind of fairy tale, it is highly notable, highly. National Geographic even has an interesting series called People in the Bible as part of their coverage of the history of the Bible and search for sacred texts. So we know that the time during Genesis was written by Moses, 
People were not even biologists or chemists yet or any of that. They didn't have the equipment and things needed to research and understand the chemical compounds of amino acids or cellular respiration or the mechanical body systems and all the other really cool things that exist in how a human works. The Bible is also about holy and historical messages. It's not exactly a college medical textbook, but applying what we know about the human body to the Bible does pose some really cool connections. I was recently thinking about that creation of Adam, that portion that talks about Adam being made from the dust and then the breath of life. So I was thinking like there's organic compound like carbon and all that stuff in the dirt and there are also organic compounds in the body and there is some overlap like in the dirt there are the top four elements carbon hydrogen oxygen and nitrogen and then there's macronutrients phosphorus sulfur calcium potassium magnesium and like trace elements and a whole bunch of other things and then in the human body we also have carbon hydrogen and oxygen atoms in our molecules and these molecules are carbohydrates and then there's proteins and those are filled with different micronutrients vitamins and minerals we have to take in uh, vitamins and minerals but within our actual amino acids there are the organic compounds of carbon and hydrogen and oxygen so i think that's kind of cool and then obviously during moses's time and moses is the one that wrote genesis people didn't study science like that they didn't have the understanding of biochemistry and all these different subsciences that dealt with amino acids cellular respiration mechanical body systems all these other things that exist in how a human works we didn't even have electron microscopes that would allow us to see things that size until like after the 1930s so there was some way of medical and technological advancements that they would have had to get to be able to really thoroughly research these things. So the Bible isn't exactly a medical college textbook, but it does have some stories in it to which we can apply what we know about the human skeleton, and it poses some really cool connections. So finally, I have a few fun facts about the human body for you guys. This way, when there's a lull in the dinner conversation, you can just blurt one of these things out and it might make people stare, but it's a conversation starter for sure. So number one, our bones are alive. Bone is a living tissue because there are cells in your bones. They're working very hard, they're stem cells, and a lot is going on there. So they are in fact alive. Number two, we have a bone that's not connected to any other bones at all. It's only connected through ligaments and it's called the hyoid bone. This hyoid bone, it's right underneath your jaw and it aids in swallowing, breathing, talking, all of that kind of stuff. It's like above and behind your thyroid. And it actually has two sets of horns on it. So there's that bone just suspended by nothing but ligament. Number three, our spinal cords are not actually inside of our spines like there's not if you were to do a cross section of the spine there's not like a hollow middle the spinal cord is actually more so in between the way that the vertebrae of the spine is actually configured it's not inside of the spine so the fourth thing is that we have gliding joints and those are just where surfaces of the bones slide across each other the intercarpal joints of the wrist region are an example of this. They only move in one surface plane, making a linear motion. 
Now our skulls, this is number five, have special little openings in like, it's not very random at all. It's very symmetrical, but there's little openings and little cavities in the actual bone, which allow for facial nerves to leave the skull. And then this vestibular cochlear nerve divides into the inner ear and it like branches out from there. And it's not just the eye sockets and the opening like where our mouth is and attached to our mandible, which is our jaw, but it has these other really, really small like little openings. So with science, there's always more to read about, but I was just gonna give you guys five things to take and run with, do what you want with them, don't do anything with them, tell people about it, I don't care. It's just fun to talk about, hopefully you were interested and you were able to learn something in this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for the listen. I always appreciate it. And I hope that you guys have a great rest of your day. Get outside and look at some foliage before all the leaves fall off the trees because they're going pretty quickly. And while you're here on the BMG Network, be sure to check out all of our other great podcasters as well. Thank you guys for the listen, and I will catch you back here on The Essentials next week.